Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. Today's episode, we are going to be focusing in on sexual pain and what to do about it. My guest today is Martin Dragon. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I figure the best place for both of us to start to build context for this conversation is to kind of define for our listeners what you and I actually do. Right. Um, so that it builds, so it creates a better understanding of why we're having this conversation. Sure. So I'll kind of jump in quickly, but we're going to make this mostly, you know, um, about what you do. But um, so for our listeners, um, of course, you know, my name is Madeline Golick and I'm a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And what that basically means is that I've received additional training outside of uh, physiotherapy school to assess and treat the muscles, fascia and nerves of the pelvic floor, which um, in order to assess those structures, I need to perform an internal exam via either the vagina or the rectum. So that is a sub you know, I guess a subspecialty of physiotherapy and you have to be specifically trained for that. So just to kind of build that context of what I do. But Martin here is what is known as a clinical sexologist. Yeah. 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 Kind of different. Kind of a weird thing. Not too many of us around. Yeah. Can Um, you tell our listeners what that means? That means I have some training, some clinical training um, in talking about sex with people. Uh, So I ended up doing a doctorate in human sexuality. So after that, you, you get this kind of nice piece of paper that, that says, hey, you can tell people to go screw themselves and you're official in, in telling them to do that. Um, but essentially, um, I have this set of knowledge and experience and training in really getting people to um, kind of talk about their sex lives a little bit, open up about it, and then I get to hear what they say and go, oh, I think I know what's going on, where these issues and dysfunctions are coming from. So it requires a little bit of knowing some anatomy, some physiology, um, and, and really it's the, the focus on um, sexual performance, sexual pleasure, and all those ideas around what sex is. Most people that I see, they have um, an issue or two that they might come in with, whether that's something to do with an ability to perform or um, say, for instance, pain, or perhaps there's a communication issue with a partner. So I'll see couples, I'll see individuals. Um, and we sit down and we talk about, hey, why is this an issue for you? Can we get to the root cause? Can we sort of unravel what's going on? Um, and let's figure out some strategies to help you move past that. That could be a little bit of education, just sort of given a little bit of information about, hey, this is what is going on, and, and perhaps that might be enough for some people, and sometimes it is. Other times it needs a little bit more, hey, let's work on some specific suggestions here to kind of work towards it this way, and sometimes it's about shifting a mindset to saying, like, hey, you think this is a problem, but why is it a problem? Um, things like that. So challenging certain preconceived notions, biases, and, and everything else surrounding sex. Yeah. So, 
It's a topic, you know, that we're, you know, we're not, you know, discussing and exploring in in depths. And so sometimes I find, um, you know, people need help just beginning to talk about it. Sometimes it's even finding the right words. Um, you get people, you know, this thing. What thing could can you be a little more specific? Um, so people do have a, a kind of a hesitancy, uh, and for some it does seem like a taboo because it's something that's really private for a lot of people. So it, it's difficult for them to share, and then because it's so kind of private and and, and you know really internal, uh, the, all these feelings that they have when they try to vocalize it to a partner or to kind of you know try and make sense of it, it can be really daunting and feel just really weird to talk about it because like I'm sharing something that's so personal, it's weird, um, and it just gets difficult for some yeah so I'm kind of I'm I'm curious like how did you find know. clinical sex like did did you expect that you were gonna be doing no. this kind of work oh no not at all <laughs> um, I, I, this this is I feel like this is purely by accident um, when I was an undergrad um, believe it or not I majored in health sciences and essentially I was like a glorified health statistician and I, I took a class uh, which I thought was really interesting. And it was a human sexuality class, uh, which I teach that class now. <laughs> Funny enough. <laughs> Funny enough. Um, but I thought it was great. And um, just the amount of like research that had not been done, um, I, I just thought it was fascinating to, to give that a go. So um, I, I looked for other kind of projects, if I could do research, uh, you know, maybe do a little bit of work uh, with that professor. Uh, his name is Tony Bogart. He's great. And um, I ended up going doing some postgraduate work in uh, sexuality. And that led me to go, hey, this is pretty interesting. I'll do a little bit more. Um, so I ended up getting a, a doctorate in that. And then I thought, well, I'll take this kind of a little bit further. And uh, here I am. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, because I was certainly curious and I, and I and I'm sure there might be some listeners wondering, like, how did you get there? Yeah, it was purely by stats. Like, yeah. that, that's it. It was research. Oh, okay. And, and interesting enough, sometimes the there are you know passions come up out of seemingly like oh I'm just gonna kind of check this thing out like you know open minded not sure if it's gonna be a thing that you enjoy yeah. and all of a sudden you know it becomes a career path and a passion so right I, I'm still passionate about stats so I think yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll find a way to incorporate the two I don't know for sure um, so we're gonna talk about sexual pain and I figure that we should maybe for our listeners define that, like. What are some of the different types of sexual pain that people might present to either you or to me? Of course, you and I work collaboratively yeah. as well. Um, and and so, like, from my perspective, I really see two primary types of okay. sexual pain, which is what we call dyspareunia, which yeah. basically means pain. painful sex. Yeah. Um, and then there's the primary and secondary dyspareunia, meaning, mm -hmm. like, the first time you attempt to have sex, it's painful, like right. Yeah, you've from always had it from the start. That's exactly. Primary. Yeah. Secondary meaning, yeah, it wasn't, and all of a sudden it is. Yeah, and and yeah. there could be a number of reasons, mm -hmm. and we'll kind of get into a little bit of where that comes from. But the second thing that you and I uh, quite often see is vaginismus. Mm -hmm. And so, for our listeners, um, obviously, this is a female um, yes. condition where the vaginal muscles spasm and penetration is not um, possible. Is not possible. Yeah. Um, and sometimes women will see that there's an issue 
right when they first attempt to insert a tampon. That's usually like the one alerting risk factor that I find. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll often ask how, you know, when you tried to use tampons, how was that? Um, And they'll say painful and I took it out. And and then it's not until a few years later when they're attempting to become intimate with their partner that they realize that the partner cannot penetrate and it's super painful. Mm -hmm. Um, And it causes a lot of stress for people. It does. I mean, it's it's really weird because it's the thing that's supposed to just work and all of a sudden it isn't. It's like, wait a minute. Um, and some people will try to also kind of like, well, maybe if I just power through it. Um, but the more painful it gets and, and the more you stress out about it, the, the more likely that the pain will increase and the, the sort of those spasms will increase as well. Um, so it gets worse paradoxically. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what the hell is wrong with me it is sort of the mindset that a lot of people adopt. Absolutely. Because it usually starts with like a pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I find that the vaginal muscle uh, that's spasming is actually happening more at a subconscious level. Like it's already in spasm for some women just even thinking about mm-hmm. sexual intimacy. Yeah. And then they try and then it's super painful and it becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, pain is such a huge thing. You could, there's, I mean, plenty of different categories I suppose we can get into. You could have the sort of mental anguish and pain. Right, the the sort of thoughts that make you feel uh, in pain, um, and that could lead to physical manifestations, right? So we call that a psychosomatic condition, yes. right? So something that starts or the origin is uh, either emotional or mental, and then you have the physical manifestations. Um, and for other people, it, it starts off as very much a physical thing uh, that could be neurological, that could be muscular, that there's some sort of physical element, and then you start thinking oh gosh, what's wrong with me? So, you know, even the, the sort of origin of pain can have a different story and lead you to um, have a different route. But ultimately, the destination is the same for a lot of people where I can't do this or this is just extremely painful and I'm frustrated and I have nowhere to turn to. I have no idea how to figure this out. Yeah, or people simply avoid, in, you know, intimacy yeah. or any situation yeah. where that may even come up. Yeah, it's like I will do everything to avoid this pain because it's so severe and... And then it's like, I've never had sex because I just couldn't. Oh, okay. And, you know, that's interesting. And oftentimes, these women don't know where to go. No, they don't. Right? They're, so they're not... Um, I mean, who talks about it, right? Who, who's going to say, oh, yeah, are you, if you're having difficulty, uh, you know, pe- with penetration, uh, these are the, no, nobody talks about it because it's, it's sort of... You get this weird message, too, from some people that, you know, you know it's something that's supposed to be special and private. But, you know, yeah. It's something that you don't talk about in public. And, um, and I think that's a, that's a shame. I mean, that's, what, you don't talk about your earlobes or your navel or your, you know, any other body part? No, I mean, we can talk about those right. things, but somehow. And, and healthcare providers um, may not necessarily be asking the questions around like sexual function as part of like a physical which i think is kind of a would be important to ask about in like in yeah. a health history intake or you know, if when they you're... do um they'll ask how's your performance are you able to perform okay and it's like well I, I guess but they don't go into pleasure they don't talk about any other element like oh are you able to like connect emotionally with your partner is that something that you're having difficulty with nobody says that right um or very rarely if they would so it gets weird because it's like, oh, is the performance here? And that's it. It's just kind of glossed over. Yeah, yeah. And so then the referrals aren't being made. And, and yeah. you know, when you don't know what's wrong, you don't even know how to search Dr. No. Google for it, right? No. Like, um, And then, of course, there's cultural context as well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different cultures where, you know, there is no sex before marriage and they're not using tampons. So they're not even alerted that there may be an issue until 
their wedding night. And even then, they're sort of, you know, for some, there may be an expectation. Well, it's supposed to be painful the first time around. So I guess I'll just power through it. Um, and then it just keeps happening. Or after that first initial kind of contact where it is painful, now you're almost thinking, well, shit, the, or crap, the, the you know, second time around, uh, it's going to be even more painful. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, diving a little bit into, you know, why does sexual pain you know, happen, right? So we've, we've kind of talked about, you know, there's definitely like a mental component that yeah. could be present. Um, trauma is certainly, you know, a big mm-hmm. thing. Um, but even from a physical makeup, sometimes it's just that the connective tissue, like the vaginal wall tissue, mm-hmm. like the, the, from a genetic perspective, maybe, you know, the vaginal canal for you happens to be more tensed mm-hmm. um, or smaller or there's a number of physical reasons that, you know, yeah. a sexual pain may be, um, you know, may be present. Maybe an infection happened of some sort that created tension in the musculature, um, pelvic floor tightness. Can you think of any other, you know, anything else that you see? Um, I mean, certainly fear if someone is a is afraid of something going wrong so anxiety let's call it anxiety even if they have anxiety about um uh, say uh, blood Uh, yes so someone might think oh no um there might be some sort of damage or i I might get hurt um, or anything like that um that anxiety alone will cause muscle tension so pretty much anything that will cause stress the natural stress response to um any kind of anxiety inducing situation the body I mean, the body doesn't care where what the source of stress is. It just responds in the same way. Yeah. Because it thinks, oh, no, there's something going wrong. I either need to run away or fight whatever this is going. Yeah. So the natural response is, hey, let's get all of the blood away from your gut and your groin into your muscle extremity so that you can either run away or fight this bear, spider, or... Or negative thought. Negative thought, whatever. Yeah. Um, whatever threat you're perceiving there to be. So for some people, they are just physically incapable of actually having any kind of um, you know response that would allow them to relax simply because they're stressed and anxious. Absolutely, um, and you know we often I, I often find that like anxiety, rumination, magnification, um, in some cases depression is is oftentimes okay. present more so with the vaginismus. Mm-hmm. Um, clients versus the dyspareunia, but but certainly I do see anxiety. It's mostly centered around not understanding pain. Um, whereas with the vaginismus, there's a lot of women who actually don't even look down there, so mm-hmm. they don't even know what's down there, which makes the fear even more. Right? Like if I cut my finger, get a paper cut, at least I can look at my finger and go, oh. I have a paper cut. I'm going to wash it. I'm going to put a Band-Aid on. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it's, it stops hurting. Right. But when we're talking about pelvic pain, it's like, especially if you've never looked down there, you're not even sure what's down there, how that whole area functions, then it's like you can't even inspect it to see, like, am I okay? Am I not okay? Like, that creates a lot of anxiety as well. Well, sure. Um, the sort of idea that, I mean, you're, you're, even the way you're phrasing it, you know, down there, as it's some sort of like ooh, mysterious kind of place we go down to. Um, yes, this is a, a vulva, and a vulva is composed of many different bits. Um, and a lot of people don't know what those bits are. Um, 
in particular, I find this extremely fascinating when it comes to um, vulval anatomy, uh, the clitoris. A lot of people will just, well, it's that, you know, it's this tiny little piece. It's not. It is quite an intricate, large internal organ, um, embryologically speaking. It's the same source uh, as the penis, yep. right? So they both develop from the same tissue. So glands or the head of the penis, same as the head of the clitoris. And just like it has spongy erectile tissue, so does the clitoris. But it's just more internal. And a lot of female anatomy, reproductive anatomy, is more internal. All you really get to see on the outside is, well, you know, sometimes a little bit of the labia and maybe the introitus, that sort of entrance to the vagina. And that's kind of it. Everything else is sort of this mysterious. It's all these internal components. Um, and for, for males or, or people with penises, it's very much uh, a kind of external. It's obvious. It's there. Right. Yes, where you're right. Individuals that have a vulva vagina are, are not going to be able to see and, exp- and, and explore. So if you're not exploring the outside, you're certainly not exploring anything inside. Oh. Um, and so it makes it challenging to know where is this pain coming from. Exactly. So a lot of like... Um, education on my part about all right let's let's talk about some of this anatomy Um, what are your pieces how would you be able to describe these sensations and and, and everything else how would we be able to place them to time and location and place Um, is a really important element to to kind of explore with people too because for a lot of uh, vulva owners, they, they really don't know much about their anatomy oftentimes when, you know, pain is there because, like you said, there's that sort of anxiety or that sort of, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to explore down there. Yeah. Uh, as, is, as if it's a sort of mysterious landscape. Yep, yep. But it's interesting that, you know, my natural go-to is to say down there in a, in a context conversation like this because it's kind of ingrained in us like we're not actually just talking about it. Like, matter of factly mm-hmm. right and a lot of people think a vagina is like the whole vulva no, and they don't realize that the vagina no. is just a canal yeah it's, it is an the, internal canal yeah um, right only only a third of it the outer third has any sort of innervation or sensation the inner two-thirds don't um you know plus you know, the the vulva the pubic mound the labia the lips they have sensitive nerve endings the clitoris and the bulbs of the clitoris and the cruise surround the entrance uh, of the vagina so when they swell and they become erect there are other sensations produced when that happens and a lot of people just don't realize you know how things sort of function it's kind of this mystery uh, to many and that's unfortunate and i think that's at least to some degree um responsible for why it is a a kind of like anxiety inducing thing when you really don't know the full details of what's going on there mind you most people don't know what the inside of their ear looks like and that's not a huge deal but you're not stuffing things into your ear or at least if you are i hope it's not so deep that you're like puncturing your Your, eardrum exactly exactly (laughs) yeah i mean it's less consequential like whether you understand the inner anatomy of your ear but you know we're a human you know we're homo sapiens right and we are here to reproduce and it's kind of an important thing that is sort of you know built in sure built in evolutionarily right to pass on our genes right sure um we as human beings are sexual beings um you know this genetic diversity that comes from biological reproduction is a wonderful thing it's a wonderful adaptation it's what allows us to survive and and carry on our genetic uh, material uh, so it's it's an important step 
I mean, not everyone, especially now, not everyone is going to necessarily be a product of, you know, sexual reproduction, but genetic components are, are there and most people enjoy it. They want to have fun with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there aren't many animals that have sex for fun and we can. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're sort of unique as a species where um, we can have, I mean, we have a menstrual cycle. That, that's a weird thing amongst many other mammals. Um, most have estrus or there's just a time. And, you know, the, the sort of outward signs that they are ready and capable of reproduction. There's a sort of redness and swelling of the vulva. They're in heat. Um, yes. So there's there's kind of obvious signals. Um, in, in the animal population. In the animal population. Yeah. Whereas yeah. for us, it's kind of a little more hidden, too. Um, I, I mean, I haven't been to the bar in a while. And I haven't necessarily seen anyone sort of flashing genitalia where it's red and swollen to try and attract a mate. But maybe it happens. I don't know. I, maybe I'm going to the wrong places. Yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially, you know, because of this sort of hidden nature, even in terms of when we are capable of reproducing, um, but we also enjoy it. it. It kind of has this sort of intricate dance that we can do. And there's times where we can have fun with it for the sake of, well, it just feels good. Yeah. And not just for procreation. So, I mean, we are kind of interesting. Um, and it seems we've evolved various adaptations to make kind of, you know, sex more fun and pleasurable. So... Uh, it's a shame when people feel they can't enjoy that or that it becomes difficult and they feel restricted. Um, that can be such a huge, huge factor that, that causes a lot of stress and anxiety yeah. and just like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with it me? It impacts a lot of, you know, quality of life. And then, <laughs> you know, and then it's, and then it begins to, you know, y- you may be questioning like, well, what does that mean for me as a woman? Or what does that mm-hmm. mean for me as a man if I can't, you know, perform? And, and is there something like fundamentally wrong with me when really, you know, again, pain is a, you know, a complex thing as to why people have it. Um, but, you know, there's something that they can do about it. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can, you know, dive a little bit into, you know, how do we, you know, how do we begin to treat this like you know what are some of your approaches what are some i'll talk a little bit about my approaches i mean i guess uh, it starts off with let's try to define that person's specific pain Uh, if we have a pretty good idea of you know maybe how it started how often it happens where it's coming from uh, it gives us an idea of like okay it may be due to some of these factors so for instance we might think about you know onset has you have you always had this or was it something more recent um you know if we're talking about the pain well, on a scale of one to ten you know if we use the pain scale yeah how bad is it does it impact your kind of day-to-day um what about the the sort of quality of the pain um does it burn does it is it feel kind of dull and broad um does it radiate or is it just really localized to like one specific place i mean those kinds of questions could lead us to think about oh, if it's something that's really, really localized. Maybe it's a localized infection. If it's something that's really sort of broad and spreading, it sounds like it's muscular, doesn't it? Like yeah. it kind of spreads, so it's affecting an entire system. So those questions can kind of help us figure out, oh, okay, maybe what we need to do here is um, you know, refer you to an OBGYN so that they can look at this. Maybe you have a Bartholin gland cyst. Yeah. Um, but if it's like really broad-based and you know, there's, there's sort of this pain and that pain is only situational, like, you don't have pain when, say, um, you're on your own and there's any sort of self-pleasure or self-touch. Right. Um, but with a partner, oh, then all of a sudden there's pain. We're, we're having a little bit of a storm. I'm just going to close the door so you guys aren't hearing all the thunder and lightning happening. Um. But anyway, um, yeah, so you want to make sure that you can evaluate, get a sense of 
what's going on, where it's coming from, and hopefully that gives you a few ideas of where you can go from there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if we're talking about the treatment, hey, if we know where it is, it gives us the next steps. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, if you are experiencing sexual pain to, you know, definitely be speaking with your healthcare provider so that if, if a referral to an OBG or a urologist is needed, like there are things we need to rule out, Absolutely. right? Like yes. medical conditions we need to yeah. rule out. Um, but once those tests um, come back normal, there really is no test for a tight muscle. No. Right. And so once the big, bad and the ugly is ruled out as a potential source of the pain, you know, now we're looking at psychosocial factors, biological factors such as tight fascia, tight muscle. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's an hypersensitivity of the nerves Mm -hmm. at the entrance of the vagina. Mm -hmm. Um, So many, um, you know, more physiotherapy related things and and sort of that's where somebody like myself would come in to assess to be like okay do we have a tight muscle here do we have tight fascia here um you know are your hip you know can you open up your hips are you restricted through your pelvis uh all of those things can contribute to vulvar pain Mm -hmm. um or you know pain with penetration um and you know, what is your ability to relax? What's your stress management? We look at all of those yeah. key factors. And oftentimes, like I mentioned with the vaginismus, you know, they the person's usually quite wound up. So it's not just that they're kind of tense in their pelvic floor, but they're, they're tense, tense in, everywhere. They're tense everywhere. They have yeah. a hard time just even sort of like laying down on mm. my table because, you know, it, it's a really scary thing. And as, you know, as a therapist, obviously, I'm working as hard as I can to create a very safe and comforting environment. And so sometimes I'll start with just light touch on areas that are away from yeah. the genitalia just to be like, okay, what does even touching like your shoulder or your arm, like, do you feel relaxed and safe when I do that? You know, then we might look at the abdominal wall and like, how comfortable do you feel with that touch? You know, looking at the legs. If I can't get them to sort of relax into that, you know, it may, it, it'll certainly make it really hard for me to even begin to assess, you know, the vulva and, um, you know, yeah, the vaginal like, opening, right? Exactly. So a sense of like desensitization and, and gradiated relaxation is really important because, again, it's not just one area that's affected, like you said. Yeah. Since it affects everything, um, you kind of have to learn how to relax your entire body. Um, and I mean, that goes back to sort of basic physiology where if you are stressed, well, everything is just going to be tense in general. So the more relaxed you are, the more likely it is that your muscles can relax throughout your body. So, you know, from my end, sure, let's provide a little bit of context of why this is happening. Um, and sometimes I can go, oh, okay. Now that I understand a little bit better, I feel a little more comfortable knowing this isn't something weird or I'm not broken. Um, and that can move towards other changes like, okay, now let's work on kind of getting you into a, a safe space in your mind where you can feel okay. Get used to your own body. How do you recognize when those sensations are happening? How do you get yourself into a, a mindset or a place in your head where things can feel a little more relaxed? Um, let's work on that gradually. Yeah. And starting with, you know, uh, I know 
um, you'll oftentimes start with like, a, you know, anatomy and send them home and like, hey, like, let's just start looking at your anatomy and see if you can identify, yeah. you know, these things, these parts, right? Yeah. And and starting there to build up comfort. And then, you know, from there, if, if they haven't seen you, like, that's usually something I'll start with. Um, and then we'll begin with light touch, mm-hmm. um, you know, broadly speaking, see how they feel and always checking in with the body to be yeah. mindful absolutely, of the sensations, but also of the thoughts so that we can address the fears that are coming up as we go yeah. so we can create that sense of safety. Yeah. And I like our combined approach because, you know, we both sort of complement uh, what's going on. So I find that a lot of people feel that they are able to kind of progress a little more effectively um, when there's that combined approach. So we're not just worried about just the muscles. We're not just worried about your thoughts in your head, but sort of, hey, let's let's make sure that we can take into account both of those elements. And, you know, that approach seems to work very, very well for, for a lot of people. So, yeah. Um, and I think yeah. it's, I think, you know, the important part, like what I want our listeners to, to get out of this is like understanding, you know, that we are going to take a holistic, you know, approach and that our first thing may not be going right to the like right to the vulva right to the genitalia talk like it might start broadly speaking about sexuality what do you think intimacy means you know Mm -hmm. and i may work on other parts of the body to ensure that you're able to stay calm before we sort of go there and and sometimes the expectation is that like we're just gonna go we're gonna go right there right and and we you know i try to build up a sense of trust and safety first mm-hmm. before i start exploring areas that are you know painful sure and you know from from my end of things a lot of people think like well you know it, this is an issue that i have with my partner there's you know the, okay that's understandable um it's preventing you from engaging with your partner in that way um but at the same time hey let's create a strong foundation and we need to make sure that you yourself on your own are comfortable and okay and you can learn how to do this on your own before we start getting other partners involved. So, you know, let's work on a little bit of self-exploration. Can you, on your own body, how well are you able to kind of feel comfortable and and everything else? Let's not even worry about a partner quite yet. Yeah. So, uh, you know, establishing that foundation, those basics are super, super important. Yeah. Um, you know, with like something like secondary dysperunia, oftentimes there's like a you, like a factor that it, it causes Usually, that. Usually, yeah. Sometimes it happens like after women have birth, they mm-hmm. have a tear, they have some scar tissue that becomes hypersensitive. And that's, you know, once we identify that that's sort of the reason and we start working on that, women tend to progress, you know, fairly quickly. There's not a lot of extra things that we're dealing with, not, not generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, when you're talking about secondary stuff, it's something that's been acquired. It, it was okay, and then something happened where it's not. So usually there's some sort of, a, typically a single predisposing factor that's caused that. So like you said, a tear or something else. Well, if you take care of you know the issue from the tear or from the scar tissue, that tends to clear the issue yeah. up. You, usually. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not like 100% of the time, but... Um, I mean, there's going to be variations for each case. However, that's that seems to to be the you know scenario most of the time. Yeah. So that's I mean that's the that's the good thing I suppose you can say. And and some people do have um, like a spontaneous dyspareunia where it seems like there's nothing whatsoever. 
and you know it'll eventually kind of go away on its own and some people say like oh that was a weird blip um but then it might come back later and it's like what is going on and some people do struggle to understand why and you know even from i guess our perspective um you know there's a lot of factors that could be happening but it's difficult to catch exactly why something happened so a lot of time you know the the kind of way to treat that sort of pain is well let's manage this mitigate let's try to make sure that you know we can hopefully prevent those things from happening and if not well let's work on managing the pain when it does and and kind of adapting to the situation in the context yeah yeah um so in the context of you know primary dyspareunia and vaginismus you know uh, one of the approaches that you and i talk about uh quite frequently is the use of dilators mm-hmm. um as being an important aspect of the treatment protocol because again we, we said you know there, there may be a physical tissue right. reason that it's tight maybe you were your you know collagen is just a little bit more firm than others and that tissue actually needs to be stretched out right so let's let's define what a dilator is because some yeah. people might not yeah. know what that absolutely. is absolutely yes please um, go ahead dilators are essentially uh like cylindrical kind of shaped devices um I mean, they're, they're not exactly, you know, sex toys or anything, but they are, you know, plastic. Um, there's different or silicone, materials. yeah. They are silicone. Um, and, I mean, they start off relatively small, narrow, um, and they progressively get bigger. And the idea is to use them, uh, kind of get used to the smallest size that you possibly can and increment, you know, uh, size each time in order for your musculature and your response to this cylinder being inserted into a vagina um, to kind of gradually get a little bit better, a little more comfortable, and those muscles can get used to that. Um, and ideally working up, you know, the way up through, you know, some of the more larger sizes until you feel comfortable enough to, to engage in any kind of activity with a partner. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a different types of, uh, you know, sets. So maybe somebody with like a primary dyspareunia that, you know, doesn't have necessarily a lot of, you know, anxiety, they may be able to progress more quickly. So a force, you know, a force set might be okay for them, mm-hmm. because the size of the dilator goes up quite quickly, mm-hmm. um, versus like a six dilator set that starts, I think, uh, smaller than a tampon. Yes. And, and more incremental slow. yeah like changes. it's more slow yeah. Yeah. and progressive in its um widening mm-hmm. and um diameter right yeah. um so for somebody who you know has never had penetration a six set may be more appropriate than a four set right and that's usually what i will what, what i will go to yeah it's just a little bit easier that way so yeah. i mean it makes sense yeah and, and, you know, that's part of their homework, right? And it's important that, you know, so I'll teach them how do you relax your pelvic floor? How do you breathe? How do you, you know, stay mindful and present with the sensations? Because some of them are going to be uncomfortable. It's like if I pull my finger back, uh, you know, as far as it can go, there's kind of like a burning kind of discomfort and pain is an alarm. But it doesn't mean that tissue damage is occurring. It's just an uncomfortable sensation that we need to breathe and stay relaxed and calm with, and eventually the tissue gives way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess, like any workout or any exercise, right? When you're working out and you have that kind of muscle burn or you have that sort of sensation where your muscles are being stretched and you feel slightly fatigued, or there's some, let's call it discomfort, 
like that's that's okay that's not necessarily a bad sign it just means oh your your muscles have worked uh versus pain where it's like oh my goodness this like really hurts i can't even use my arm now or it's spasming or it's doing something that is extremely limiting my ability to function there's a difference between discomfort and pain um so even just making sure that you know people we work with understand that difference and that discomfort isn't a bad thing it's just it means that your muscles are being stretched that's kind of what we want yeah pain is bad though we don't want pain discomfort is okay yeah and so we'll, uh, i will oftentimes work in different strategies like positioning or trying to create um what i call slack in mm-hmm. the tissue right so you know if a dialer is going in and it's kind of uncomfortable i give them sort of thresholds that they should stay within right um and then i'll say okay well this is uncomfortable let's let's you know pull on the inner thigh toward the opening because that puts slack on the fascia slack on the musculature and it makes it a little bit less uncomfortable so that they can sort of sustain the hold position of that dilator for a little bit longer and it makes you know moving through the stages a little bit easier so we do try to find ways to minimize that discomfort um and and of course giving given thresholds yeah i mean it kind of goes down to uh, even from my end right it's about challenging uh, but not necessarily like um you know causing pain or, or like you don't want to push someone too far so it is this like we want you to be challenged we want you to kind of uh, kind of come closer to the edge kind of push the edge push the boundaries a little bit but we don't want you overstepping so far that you're in weird territory exactly so it's, it's kind of like you know even like hamstring stretches yeah. you know it pulls it's kind of uncomfortable yeah. but you know we we do it progressively, right? right. You, don't you know, just all of a sudden, like, yeah, I can do the splits. No, no, you can't. It's okay. No, that's, that's... you got to stretch out the muscles yeah. to do the splits slowly over time. Yeah. But the key important thing is, is that you know it really does need to become you know a daily practice. And I... yeah, it's not something that you know you sort of just go in and and see us and like, all right, I just I did my stuff. I'm good for the next week. Uh, no, there's there's homework, home play, whatever you want to call it, exercises that you do yeah. at home. Um, and that goes for, I guess, from both of our perspectives where, hey, if, if we're talking about, you know, going through these uh, sort of techniques or through these steps, then you need to be able to practice that. Even if it's something as simple as just deep breathing. Um, don't think that you only do deep breathing when you need it. No, you practice it so that when you need to use it, it it works. It works and it comes naturally and it's, you know, that sort of. And it mem- happens faster. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. It's just kind of, oh, you just do it. Um, so, you know, practice at home is really important and, and giving yourself the time to not thinking that it's going to, you know, instantly be okay. That we're, oh yeah, two weeks and I'm fine. No, it's, it's not. I mean, for some people they've been in this spot for 20, 30, 40 years right, and yeah. it doesn't change overnight. Um, and it does take a lot of time to work through it. And, and, and I'm sure you probably discuss this with your clients as well, but I also will like tell my clients like, you know, put some soft music on, create an environment where you're doing this that feels safe to you, that's comfortable. Maybe, you know, change the bed sheets that are, you know, nice that you want to like lay on. Like yeah, dim the lights, just make it candles, nice. Like, yeah. you know, make it make how it- you want to 
how you imagine it would feel like. Yeah, I, I, I talk about that too, right? Setting the, the tone, setting the environment. Um, the more you can feel relaxed and just like, hey. Um, and that kind of goes into setting the expectations. Um, a lot of people expect it to be painful. They expect it to be sort of anticipating a certain amount of pain. Let's change those expectations. Let's make it more about, no, this is a time to relax and enjoy and have fun with it. So let's change the environment to support those expectations. Um, and that becomes an important element as well. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, when the only thing you know is discomfort and pain, you know, part of what we do is like find techniques and ways of trying to reintroduce pleasure with the touch as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, when you get to a certain point, you know, we need to reteach those areas that like, this is pleasure and like learning kind of the difference and, and, you know, we call it remapping the vagina, but Basically, Basically, we're, you know, getting them to think about something pleasurable, become aroused, and then begin to self-explore in a way that brings that context of pleasure already into the work. Right. It's sort of um, desensitizing the pain, resensitizing with pleasure. Exactly. Yeah. kind of thing. Absolutely. Trying to kind of, again, shift your mind into, well, what are these sensations supposed to be about? And um, just being able to take that approach can be really really helpful um just that little mindset change yeah um is there anything that you could think of like that may be valuable to mention to the audience you know maybe about your treatment approach or anything for them to consider as we sort of begin to wind down our conversation i mean you kind of you kind of mentioned the whole holistic aspect and i think that's something important too and especially if it's pain you know with a partner um it's never just a a solitary uh Mm. adventure um sometimes you know partners need to be involved too um and if they're aware of what's going on uh whether that's your you know female partner or male partner um just having them as part of that process too because sometimes it's their presence or their touch that could cause some of that anxiety too so really learning how to kind of get comfortable with that other person in a particular context is really important. Um, and, you know, the whole holistic approach, meaning it's not just the biology. It's not just, you know, the, the psychological aspects. Or it's the social aspects, too. So it's that biopsychosocial approach. You know, yourself and your mind, what your body's doing, and the people you're with um, yes. in the context. That all plays a role to a degree, some more than others, depending on the situation. But hey, let's be cognizant that this is more than just one single issue. Um, there's a lot more to it. And the the more you are able to explore those elements, the better you will be at understanding why something is happening and the better equipped you'll be to deal with it. Yeah. And I think it's just important, you know, um, to come also with like an open mind to, to the sessions, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know... We don't have all of the answers, right? We, we're, we're all, you know, that's why an interdisciplinary approach is so important Absolutely. because, you know, yes, I'm, I'm a physio. I'm trained in the, you know, physical aspect. I mean, I take a biosocial model as well, which helps me identify mm-hmm. other factors, but I'm not qualified to necessarily address those other factors. And so right. that's why I bring you in right. or... Or I might say, hey, by the way, I can't go in and inspect exactly how the musculature is being affected. Why don't you go see Madeline? Um, So it it is really, you know, complimentary. And that's why I mentioned it. It kind of helps people move or progress a little bit quicker or better, just easier, having the the kind of combined approach. 
yeah, I can kind of feel overwhelming at first because like I have to do this and I have to do this. So, you know, we both try to consider that and sort of, okay, let's just take things nice and easy and not overwhelm someone. Yeah. Um, but having that approach, I mean, helps. There's only so much that I can do, only so much that you can do. Exactly. Let's try to, you know, at least work op- together. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not do the same thing twice, but complement each other rather than overlap. Yeah. And of course, you know, we're always communicating with primary healthcare providers as well. Absolutely. Like, you know, we're, it's a multi disciplinary interdisciplinary approach to help you kind of figure out the root cause right because sometimes you know in the interim some medications may be needed um you know to help you move through the process or maybe some creams are needed that you know reduce a little bit of the sensitivity like there's so many different things that may need to come into the treatment factor just to to help and again they're not ways to kind of solve the problem there are ways to, I mean, do you, do you want to call them Band-Aid solutions? I, I, don't, I don't know. The best way to sort of say is maybe they're there to kind of help you get to the next step. Exactly. And if you still need it, you still need it. But once you get to a point where, okay, maybe it's not as necessary anymore, maybe we don't need that anymore. And now, you know, there's a different take we can, or a different approach we can take. Yeah, absolutely. So in case, you know, there's somebody listening and they... Um, are resonating with our message and are interested in chatting with you like where can people find you or find out information about what you do (laughs) about what i do yeah um i mean i do have a site i haven't updated it in a while i probably should um but i do work out of a clinic in toronto at kma therapy so uh calling them up or going to their website kmatherapy.com um and i also work out of a clinic in burlington so burlington uh, bayridge counseling centers um so any of those two places that's probably the easiest way to to get a hold of me uh, directly to talk about these kinds of concerns um but you know if someone decides to like email me and they see my contact info on my site and they just have like a question of I don't, can you help me? Can you point me in the right direction? I, I, I will gladly respond. So it's not something that someone has to like. And, has and to your website, martindragon.ca. It's just my name. At yeah. .ca, so. And to our listeners, I will include links That'd be nice. um, in the show notes that you can find in the description of the episode. You can find the show notes also on the website where the podcast is hosted, which is uh, ecophysio, eco physio. Um, dot com forward slash videos all of the podcasts are listed there with the show notes um so you can find the links located there and cool you know reach out that's the big thing like yeah. talk about it if you're having an issue find a healthcare provider find some you know somebody that you can start having the conversation with and get you know start seeking out some help yeah, some, sometimes i mean sometimes that first step is the biggest hurdle but once you get past it it's amazing how the ball kind of gets rolling and you can like, oh, maybe this isn't such a overwhelming thing after all. And there are people who can help. Uh, and that's just a nice reassuring thing. So yeah, sometimes just asking a simple question like, is this okay? Or can I, you know, get some context about this? Sure. Why not? I'll, I'll gladly respond to people. Amazing. I want to thank you so much for taking the time for to me. do this. I know you and I have been talking about like, how do we tell people what we do and like how do we find ways to reach out and you know um and then you know i decided to start this podcast and i thought well what better way than to actually have a discussion back and forth about what we do why not right um it gets the message out there and maybe a few people will benefit from this so anything we can do to help 
Absolutely. So thanks again. And thanks to our listeners. Um, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.